Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, if you are stepping away from the radio for any reason, you don't have to miss out on the conversation here on Detroit Today. If you go to iTunes or wherever it is you download podcasts, you can go find the Detroit Today podcast. You can download and subscribe. You can take us with you. Listen whenever you are want. We want to spend the hour today talking more about the unfolding scandal at Michigan State University uh, with regard to Dr. Larry Nasser. We spent a little bit of yesterday's show talking about that, but today we want to put it in a broader context. We want to talk about sports culture and sports culture at universities in particular and how that culture might have made this scandal possible and how that culture, if we don't change it, might make uh, similar scandals or similar kinds of abuse possible in the future. A little later, we're going to talk about what parents can do to try to protect uh, their kids when they are student athletes. We're going to talk about what role universities ought to be playing to protect uh, student athletes. And we're going to talk to the head coach of the UCLA gymnastics team, about the systems systems that are in place uh, that created these kinds of abuses in the sport. So we've got a lot of voices to add to this conversation. And of course, we want to add yours as well. Uh, we want to hear from you about what you think the, the, the culture is on college campuses in terms of college sports, big time college sports, uh, and whether it played a role in what Larry Nasser was able to do, how long he was able to do it, what the repercussions ended up being for that behavior, uh, both in terms of him and other people at the university. And we want to hear, especially if you're a parent of a student athlete, how do you navigate these kinds of questions? How do you think about how to protect your children from these kinds of things. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Let's start, though, with talking about uh, the future of Luana K. Simon, who is the president at Michigan State University. Her handling uh, of this fallout has shown uh, a lot of different things. Uh, Simon has shown at times deep concern and empathy for the women and girls who were assaulted by Larry Nasser while he was a gymnastics team doctor at MSU. And she has shown at times a sort of callous distancing from the emotional strings that run through this whole story. There's a public perception that maybe she cares more about lawsuits and her busy schedule than about the survivors of Nasser's abuse. Uh, Simon has also had the fierce and loyal backing so far of the board of trustees at MSU and of perhaps the most esteemed figure at the university, basketball coach Tom Izzo. Over the weekend, one of the trustees said he no longer felt Simon could continue at the university with the groundswell of public anger. But the case of Larry Nasser is so egregious and the victims so numerous over a 30-year period, it's hard not to wonder why no one at Michigan State has been fired for the negligence in employing a guy who assaulted so many students. We're going to spend, like I said, the show today talking about this culture that created 
this this person and these acts and the fallout from them. And again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones to join the conversation. But I want to start with John Neo, who is a sports columnist at the Detroit News, has been paying very close attention uh, to what has been going on with Larry Nasser, John, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, let's start with uh, Luana K. Simon. Uh, last week, the Detroit News had a really interesting, almost uh, uh, you know, blow-by-blow, I think, uh, story about how this all happened and who knew what when. And the headline was that 14 people on staff knew or were warned about Larry Nasser at various times and they didn't act. I thought that story would be a turning point, uh, would mark a turning point at which we would start to see universities deal with this whole thing really differently and maybe with a harsher harsher uh, dynamic. We haven't quite seen that so far. I mean, they, we saw the opposite over the weekend. Yeah, well, you know what? I would say it was a turning point in the sense that I think in terms of public perception. I mean, Kim, Ko- Kim Ko- Kozlowski uh, really, as you said, laid it out mm-hmm. um, sort of clinically, you know, over time. I mean, this goes all the way back to the first known reporting was 1997 to the gymnastics coach. Um, and then throughout, and as you mentioned, it, it totals, you know, at least eight different um, victims mm-hmm. in this case, or accusers, um, and 14 university employees of some sort. Now, there were actions taken at different, but obviously not enough, right. and not to an extent that I think just sitting back, you know, with the benefit of time and hindsight, all those things, certainly not enough was done. And there was gaps in reporting between Michigan State and USA Gymnastics, which was also, you know, I think criminally negligent in this right. case. Um, but, but yeah, no. And, and so then, so this comes out and, and it really does. I mean, Luannis K. Simon was one of the people who the, the report did reach her at 2014 with, with what pre- precipitated a, a title nine investigation that was clearly not well done. Right. Um, it was handled in house, which is and, and the doctors that were spoken to were all colleagues and, friends in many cases of Dr. Nasser, Larry Nasser, I should say. Um, so, so yeah, there's this, there's this clear pattern, I guess, if you want, if you want to put it that way of, of poor, not, not inaction, inaction in some cases, negligence in mm-hmm. some cases, mm-hmm. or just not the oversight that was needed. And so when Luana K. Simon says, well, you know, I told them to play it straight up when they came to me with this. Well, no, I think, I think the average person, I think certainly the accusers and the families who have been victimized by this are saying, no, you needed to follow up. You right. needed to say, hey, w- what's going on with this case? What? And that's where I think then they fall short. And now we are in this, for lack of a better term, lawyered up phase yeah. is what it feels like to everyone who's inside this case. And certainly I think to most the, the alums and, and Michigan State people that I've talked to you know, are sort of offended by the way the university is handling it now that this is not the time for a, mo- a bunker mentality circle right. the wagon sort of approach and that's what it feels like and I think you know when you see their trustee Mitch Lines, who came out and said you know what I just don't think we can t- continue with her as the president I think that's what he was referencing is look I think public trust and faith in the president is gone at this point yeah. or to an extent that you know exactly, and and this is a board of trustees that's had trouble yeah. in the past. Yeah. 
I think finding that sort of certain moral path when scandal erupts. I mean, this is not this is not new. No, and if you look at who who makes up the board, it, you take a step back and say, well, George Perlis is on the board of trustees. Well, you know, he, they probably should have. I mean, obviously, he's a, a former football coach. He's late in his years, and. I don't know that he's somebody who should be making these kinds of decisions mm-hmm. when it comes to a public university of this size and, 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 and certainly in a case like this. And so I think that's where, I mean, we've already seen to a couple of the, you know, Brian Breslin has said he's not going to run. I mean, there will be some changes on that board as, as things go on. But the day that tri- this trial is going, the sentencing hearing is going on and all of these stories, all these victims, just unbelievably gut-wrenching testimony that's going on in court. Sure. A few miles away, you've got the board of trustees in a closed work, quote unquote, work session, not even an open session, deciding things, debating for hours, whatever they were doing, right. and to come out then and just release a statement saying we have the full confidence in the president, right. and, we, and we're you know essentially we're sorry, but we're sticking to our guns. And, part and that's the, I think people were definitely were offended by yeah. that. Yeah, and, and and part of the problem here I think is. I mean, I think it would be perfectly fine to come out and say, we've looked into this, uh, we have full confidence in Luana K. Simon, and here's all the all the, the work yeah, product right. of this investigation <laughs> right. that we did that says, here's when she knew, here's what she did when she knew. Here's right. They're not sharing. No, and, and the excuse that's given, and I'll, I'll call it an excuse because I, I find it sort of offensive too, is that, hey... This now is not the time. Now is the time for the victims to have their say. Well, that's fine, but you've had all this time mm-hmm. to say it up until this, and to to use that as sort of cover almost. I think it, uh, it was a certainly the wrong way to handle it to me. But you mentioned, yeah, they had an investigation that produced no report, no written, no notes. notes. I mean, which is of. just, I mean, if it wasn't such a an awful case, I mean, it would be laughable if it wasn't for what we're talking about here. And so I think that's the part. And, and when you put all of that together, I think then you get this perception, which I think people say, you know, I mean, the average person out there is saying Michigan State didn't do enough. And man, they sure look like they're covering it up. Yeah. And that's and that's well, that's the president's job. And that's the board's job to sort of disprove that public perception. And right now they're doing a terrible job of it. Right. Uh, you're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is John Neo. He's a sports columnist at the Detroit News. We are talking about the ongoing Larry Nasser scandal at Michigan State University and talking uh, more contextually about that scandal. How does something like this happen at a university? How should a university respond when something like this happens? The abuse of student athletes. And does the culture of University athletic departments, university sports lend itself to this kind of scandal and to this kind of mishandling of a scandal, the, the, the drive to protect reputation and money uh, and, and power. Uh, does it obscure the need to protect students? Uh, we're talking all hour about that. We're going to talk a little later about what parents should be doing to avoid abusers. We're going to talk with uh, the coach of the UCLA gymnastics team about how the culture looks on some of these big college campuses and how it lends itself to these things. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET 
Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's let's go to Terry in Detroit. Terry, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Um, So, Stephen, I just don't rush to judgment to me. We don't have Michigan State University talking about um, everything they knew. They're in litigation now. It's no surprise that they're not. But I just, contextually, let's remember that some of these um, abuses took place when the parents were in the room with these young women, Mm -hmm. and the parents didn't pick up on the fact that something was out of line. So uh, we have to remember that this man was an extremely successful manipulator of people um, and was quite cunning in the way he did what he did. Yeah. Um, And so to think that Michigan State is trying to cover it up, he said, I'm going to manipulate your body, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that to treat you, and he did those things, and he did it in such a way that the parents didn't even think something was out of line in many cases. So um, we we need to have, what society owes it to everyone, to have full closure on this, and we're only going to do that by hearing all sides of the story. Um, and, and I also want to say I think the important conversation right now should be around how do we tell young women right. to mm-hmm. speak up for themselves and to know when someone is crossing the line. As a woman, I've undergone exams, and you do get poked and prodded in all sorts of places, but you need to be able to have a sophisticated understanding of what's right and what's wrong and when someone is crossing the line, and that's what we ought to be concentrating on. That's the only way we can help empower our girls not to be subjects of this um, kind of victimization. Yeah, no, Terry, that's a, that, those are great points. I'm glad uh, you called uh, to make them, uh, I, I do still wonder, though, about uh, President Simon and this this timeline of knowledge and action that is sort of unfolding. It may be too early, I guess, to to, to make a final judgment on that. But uh, I guess uh, for, for a lot of people, the frustration is that we're not seeing enough of the detail. What we read in the newspaper is one side of it. The university is not offering uh, much else in the way of explanation. And, and I would say one of the things, she, and she's absolutely right. I mean, Larry Nasser was obviously a, I mean, and I, I met him a couple times years ago covering the Olympics. Um, he's he was a very smooth, manipulative person. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't look like it now sitting in that courtroom, but that's not the not not the guy I encountered, you know, several years ago. Um, but he also had this cachet. He had this, and it was because, not just because of his stature at Michigan State, although he became this sort of renowned, everybody sent their, you know, sadly sent their kids to him. To and see coaches him, yeah. said, no, you got need to go see Larry Nasser because he's the guy, he's the best. He had this Olympic, you know, you know, halo around him sure. that was, and, the, and then you start to get into the USA Gymnastics piece of this, which is, I mean, they, they exalted this guy, and actually, he was at certain points even on the on the committees and boards to decide how to handle sexual abuse, mm-hmm. which is just appalling when you think about it now. But um, so he had this. So he would come back, and you listen to these women and girls in in court telling their stories bravely, ter- telling their stories, talking about how well 
who was I to question him because he was. He was this, Larry He Nassar. was the Olympic team doctor. Right. He was this, he would come back from events and he would bring me, you know, hand me the jacket he got from this tournament or that meet and, you know, or this pin from the Olympics and the pictures were on the wall. And, you know, one of the, one of the former national team members talked about how in hindsight now she realizes that was almost like a shrine to of his victims. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was also his way of showing everybody who came into that office, including parents who were standing there, you know, or sitting there or were told, you know, you can leave now while he was, um, you know, assaulting their daughters, sure. as it turns out, sure. um, that that was sort of, you know, it's okay. Larry's Larry knows what he's doing. That, yeah. That's the impression that was given. And, and so these, these organizations, whether it's the university, whether it's USA Gymnastics, they still have to answer for that too because they were part of the reason why he had this reputation. You know, I also wonder how this fits into the context of other scandals involving sexual abuse or misconduct at, uh, at universities. And at Michigan State, uh, we had a fairly significant uh, set of issues around the football team mm-hmm. last fall. Uh, I believe that there's been some stuff with, uh, with the basketball team uh, recently as well. Does this does this is this consistent uh, across all of these things that the university is not being terribly transparent or I or think that's what people things? want to know and that's why people want to know what are you doing to keep our children safe what are you doing to keep these students safe it's it's a it's a story at every university across the country sexual assault um, but yeah that's why people want to know that's why people want an independent investigation an outside in- investigation into this to find out where were the mistakes made or where were worse? Where were the, you know, criminal mistakes made um, perhaps? And th- and that's what people I, to date haven't, haven't seen the title nine event. Like I said, the title nine investigation was done. Yeah. You know, from what we understand. And again, we don't, we're not privy to all of what they've done. It, it wasn't enough. And it was, it was far short of, of a complete investigation. And I think that, I, people find that offensive. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Uh, go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Charlie in Detroit, you're up next. Welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, well, I'm a parent of a MSU uh, junior. He was home on the weekend, and uh, frankly, he's pissed and embarrassed. You know, as a student there, there's a lot of school pride there. And, you know, this is not just unique to MSU, but athletics in general has kind of taken over uh, universities across the country. And they've lost sight of, I think, their educational mission in, in favor of getting money in from, you know, donors and supporters and big athletic programs. And I just think if the Luanna K. Simon had any idea of this, she ought to have the integrity to resign. Because if it comes out later, she did. That's just awful. Hmm. Yeah, Charlie, thanks very much for the call and the perspective there. I mean, it, 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 John, you've covered sports not just at MSU but but uh, at all of our sort of local uh, places uh, for a long time. Um, do we have a problem with uh, with sports overwhelming people's <laughs> judgment when it comes to stuff like this? I mean, there's no question that sports plays an outsized role at uh, MSU, at U of M, at, at lots of mm-hmm. places. But does it does it play? Does it get to the extent where something like this uh, is is happening while people try to make excuses? And and I think 
for everybody, the the, the immediate reference is is Penn State, right. where this went on for years and years and years. People knew and didn't do anything. Uh, is this something that we're seeing sort of systemically? Yeah, and I always hate to I always hate to sort of make comparisons in cases like this because the there are separate cases, but at the same time, there are similarities. As you say, to Penn State, people have immediately latched onto that. And but there were there are some differences too. And in just to play devil's advocate, what what would in the, the caller Charlie? I've I, that's almost unanimous. Is that's sort of been the reaction that I've gotten mm-hmm. in my inbox. People are and people, Yeah, I just and and I'll give you got to give Michigan State alums and 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 fans et cetera credit because. If you think back to the Penn State case, it was it was as divisive and polarizing and frankly disgusting as it could get mm-hmm. there. You know, mm-hmm. the, this defense of Joe Paterno and you know, it sort of overshadowed the victims in and that angry case. And angry, you know, no, no, and st- it continues to this day. I mean, whether it's taking down statues, everything else. So to play devil's advocate, what what would happen if this had been not gymnastics and you know, rowing and some of these other minor sports, non-revenue sports, I should mm-hmm. say, uh, if it was the football program or the basketball program. And, and and you wonder how the reaction would change. Sadly, it probably would be drastically different in terms of how people would be reacting to this story. Um, this one is, is in scope much larger when you're just talking about sheer numbers of, of victims uh, as well, at least we think. But you're right. It, there is a, there's a systemic culture thing. And to me, the other difference between that Penn State case and this is in Penn, in Pennsylvania, you had the attorney general's office was prosecuting, investigating, and ultimately prosecuting not just the case itself, Jerry Sandusky, but also university leadership. Other folks who were involved. Yeah. The attorney general in the state of Michigan, um, you know, for whatever reasons. He has taken a pass. Well, they, I mean, they've, they've, prosec- they've investigated Larry Nassar. I mean, that's the reason why we are in court this week is – because of the intern, excuse me, partly the reason. I mean, mm-hmm. that investigation led to these charges, but they have not yet they gone any further. Uh, investigated Michigan State's response or culpability, however you want to phrase it, in this. And now, Michigan State, in this weekend of poorly timed public relations <laughs> messages, has has asked for an investigation. Well, first of all, they shouldn't be the ones asking. It should be. It, it should be Just forced be upon them. Right. And, and and so the attorney general, you know, they said it was more of a, a staffing issue, I think has been the, the answer as to why they weren't. They just didn't have the resources to do both. Obviously, this is a huge case when we're talking the numbers we are talking. There's also the Flint water investigation, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. There are other things, obviously. But, yeah, there, you also wonder then will we ever get to the bottom of this because we've waited so long or because the attorney general has not acted until now. So that, you know, they, they too are saying we're going to let this victims have their say and then we'll talk about what's next. But I think a lot of people think that's too late. Okay. John Neo, sports columnist with the Detroit news. Thanks for joining us here on Detroit today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Up next, we're going to talk about what parents can do to avoid abusers of young athletes and how we can change a system that seems to promote this kind of abuse. Stay with us on Detroit today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. 
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour about the Larry Nasser scandal at Michigan State University, putting it in a broader context of sports culture, sports culture at universities, and talking about how we prevent things like this from happening. How do we prevent them from happening in the first place? And how do we prevent them from going on for as long as the Larry Nasser scandal went on? You think of the many years of uh, athletes who were abused at his hands and who knew at the university when they knew and whether they did anything, why they didn't do anything. Those are the questions that I think will linger far after Larry Nasser's sentencing hearings and later this week. If you want to join the conversation, we definitely want to hear from you about what you think can be done to prevent student-athletes from finding themselves in these kinds of uh, situations. Uh, if you're the parent of a student-athlete, talk to us about what you do to make sure that your child is safe. Uh, if you are the parent of a young girl who uh, has to go see doctors and deal with uh, male coaches, how does how does uh, how does that work? How does that relationship work from your end to prevent something like Larry Nasser from happening? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today. We'll work you into the conversation. Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972 say that no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in or be denied the benefits of or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So what does it mean when a university appears to largely ignore the numerous complaints of student-athletes that they are being abused by a team doctor. And all those complaints come from women. Is that discrimination? If a dozen football players or men's hockey players complained of the same thing, would the university have taken as passive a role during the investigations? Joining us now to talk more about that context for this story is Nancy Hogshead Makar. She's a Title IX attorney and professor, former Olympic swimmer and gold medalist, and an advocate for women in sports. Nancy, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you for having me on. Yeah. Uh, so I, I first want to get your reaction to what we are seeing with Larry Nasser and these very emotional court proceedings in which... Uh, uh, one woman after another is getting up and telling uh, pretty wrenching stories about what he, not just what he did to her, but I guess what's been moving me is the feeling of betrayal, the trust that they had in him uh, and and how he broke that trust. Uh, what what has been your your reaction to it? Yeah, I, I can see... <clears throat> what they're really angry about, not just him, but this institutional betrayal mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by not having MSU protect them, by not, by not being believed for so long, by not having the Olympic Committee uh, take a strong stand with the uh, USA Gymnastics and saying, we're going to investigate this. I mean, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> the, the Olympic, the, the, uh, as you read with Title IX, MSU is not able to say, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, yeah, go ahead. That, uh, 
they're not able to say that it's just not my job to do this, to protect athletes from sexual abuse. It is their job. That is sexual harassment and abuse is a kind of sex discrimination, whether mm-hmm. it happens to boys, girls, men, women. And so under Title IX, there's an obligation for the school to predict and to prevent and to address it very quickly, as opposed to the Olympic Committee, which has crafted this legal position of theirs, which is that it's not their job. They don't have to do anything about it. And it is that legal position that has cost girls and women in particular, definitely boys and men too, but girls and women in particular, has cost them dearly in these kinds of of uh, sexual abuse cases. So so talk about the role that MSU played here in the context of other institutions of higher ed. Uh, you, you deal with them a lot with, mm-hmm. with, with these issues. Is this an aberration? Is MSU an outlier? Or is this sort of symptomatic of a systemic problem? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I see... I heard you talking with your earlier guest about how that, um, you know, that this would, if this had been affecting the football or men's basketball team, if it, it would be a much bigger deal. Mm-hmm. I see it as when sexual abuse affects women, we really don't see um, other accrediting agencies or other institutions getting involved and in condemning what the institution did. So, for example, um, uh, when when boys are molested, there's a very strong reaction pretty quickly when not just Penn State, but Kevin, when Kevin Spacey, only one man came forward and he was out of the House of Cards. When House Speaker Dennis Hastert was accused of molesting boys in wrestling, he was out of the Hall of Fame. He was. There are molesters in the Speed Skating Hall of Fame, this guy named Andy Gable, who admits to molesting underage girls. And he's still in the Hall of Fame, and we've been trying very hard to get him out and have not been successful. Um, you can, when you look at the Baylor case, you know, the NCAA did not weigh in on that case, even though there were cover-ups of numerous gang rapes of women, which it's just hard to say that that's worse. Right. Or that's not any, not any worse than what happened at Penn State, which cost them $60 million. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um you know, they didn't get involved in uh, Jameis Winston, even though the New York Times kind of laid out the the case that they had done, that the police had really just whiffed and really not done any job at all. Um, and um, so, <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I sort of see it breaking down that way. When the victims are women, there's really not as there's much a of an outcry. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter who's molesting them. It really takes <laughs> it takes an army of women before you get the kind of reaction that we're getting finally at Michigan State. Yeah. Uh, again, the number on the phone to so join the conversation is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Lots of folks lined up here to participate. Let's go to Stephanie in. West Bloomfield. Stephanie, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Sure. So I think that um, not only are we failing and doing an injustice to the women who are the victims in this, but we need to have a broader conversation about how we're raising our boys and our men to not be predators, to not objectify women. And it seems that this is all, you know, there's a huge difference between women who are predators and doing this to boys and men and men that are doing this to girls and women. And what are we doing that's failing our young men and not teaching them 
that these things are okay to be done to women. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and I, I guess, I, Stephanie, I think that's a wonderful point. I'm glad you called to make it. But I also wonder a little about whether we're missing uh, something important with regard to Dr. Nasser. And I, I had a conversation with someone this weekend about this. So ultimately what he did was to take advantage of a power relationship he had <clears throat> over young women uh, and and to abuse them sexually through that power relationship. Uh-huh. We're not talking about where, I mean, that's learned behavior. People aren't born doing things like that. People aren't necessarily uh, uh, raised culturally to behave that way. It's learned behavior from from something specific. And I'm not saying that by any means that there ought to be uh, sympathy or or mercy for for Larry Nasser um, uh, to to have to you know uh, to, to to deal with this. But there is something else that we need to be talking about, isn't it? Is it, one of it is how do you create these people? Can I can I weigh in on that? Sure. Yes. Go ahead. Nancy. Yeah. So, uh, Coach Gettard, who was just suspended by USA Gymnastics, was under investigation himself in 2013. Uh-huh. And uh, who came to his defense? And who contacted all the parents? And who contacted even the people who made the complaint was Larry Nasser. Uh-huh. So Gettard knew that he owed a lot to Larry Nasser. He only sent girls to go receive treatments from Larry Nasser. He did not send his male athletes to go. He had a male team as well. Wow. He did not send them in to Larry Nasser. So there is this idea, I think, that that w- w- what's so wonderful about having a hundred women come in and give their story is that um, it it it's giving everybody a front row seat to what sexual abuse really does to somebody. What mm-hmm. is the impact of this? And because I really think Gettert thought that it was not a big deal. I really think that people, you know, when when Marta Caroli was told about, uh, she was a gymnastics coach for the Olympic team for years, when she was told about Larry Nasser, I mean, these women were not only shamed for speaking up about it, they were, um, they were, you know, it was it was just seen as, you know, a not just, you know, this isn't worth uh, complaining about. You right. know, you're supposed to be tough and you're supposed to, you know, do whatever it takes to be in the Olympics. And then two is there was a culture that uh, that uh, Caroli, the Carolis fostered, which was you will not complain. Don't about question anything. me. That's right. That's right. right. You're going to be quiet about everything, and that's an, an environment that sexual abuse can thrive in if you're not allowed to raise your hand and say, um, something's wrong here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. Shanna in Elmont. Welcome to the Hi there, Stephen. Thanks for picking up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, I, was, I, I run a summer camp in Elmont, and um, one of the major things we train counselors, like even from the age of 13, is the rule of three. And we just don't <laughs> allow kids to ever be alone um, with someone in a position of power or, you know, guidance or leadership with them. Um, and I believe the same for teachers, coaches, doctors, anybody. I just feel like that's our number one defense 
Um, in, is in that you always have more people in the room to be able to to say what's going on, right? Right, absolutely. So so that the abuse can't happen or is a lot less likely and that there's there's more than one voice than me against you. Yeah. Uh, Shanna, thanks very much for the call. You know, uh, Nancy uh, Hogshead Makar, one of the problems with the Nasser story is that there were parents in the room in, mm. in a lot of instances when this happened, and they were not sure that what he was doing was inappropriate because he was the doctor, right? Uh, again, right. this this idea of authority and who has standing even to question that authority, I think, uh, is one of the real powerful dynamics here. Yeah, the, the stories that I heard was that uh, parents were in the room, but that he positioned his body in such a way that they couldn't see that he was vaginally penetrating them. Wow. Right? Wow. So yeah. that... The girls were uncomfortable and, you know, whatever, but, you know, it was happening right in front of their parent, and he was casually talking with a parent mm-hmm. while he's doing this. Sort of, Ugh. once again, you know, I'm sh- sure the kid is thinking, well, mom's right here, you know, must be okay. Right. Um, yeah, but, uh, but certainly I can, I think everybody can understand the level of betrayal. I mean, not just by him, but by their school by United States Gymnastics and by the United States Olympic Committee. Sure, sure. Uh, let's take another call here. Chantel in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, Chantel, you're going to have to turn on your radio. <laughs> Good morning. How yeah. are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm mm-hmm. calling because you know I love you and I always listen. Oh, great. that We love that. <laughs> well, I was calling in regards to the comment that you guys just made. Well, you just asked the question in regards to basically how are these predators being created and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And coming from a social work standpoint, normally molesters have been molested or a predator has been preyed on. And mm-hmm. they continue that cycle and basically, you know, do that to others, you know, maybe more than once, maybe, you know, more. And then in that cycle, that creates the next predator or molester that goes out also and maybe molest or praise on the next person. So basically it's like we have to break the cycle, kind of like with domestic violence or things of that nature. And you always talk about breaking the cycle. So when you were saying about, you know, the men are not taught about the culture or whatever or not, or no one's raising their son to be a molester, no. However, that person may have been molested or, you know, been preyed on. And, you know, parents might not know and and, and may not be aware that their child has been molested and and is now molesting others. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, that was what I was trying to get at there, Chantel, and so I'm glad you called and and made that point is – uh, the people who do this are created uh, by circumstances that in, sometimes uh, they don't control. And I think, uh, again, I think we can talk about that without, uh, without uh, you know, taking away from the horror of what Larry Nasser did or the need yeah. to, 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 to deal with that. But to say, this is not someone who just woke up someday to do this. This is someone who was created. Yeah, and but but not, it wasn't just him, right? There also is this responsibility on these other institutions. Yes, you're always going to have these individual monsters, and and I agree with Chantel your your comment that you know a lot of times these people were abused themselves and go on to become abusers. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there but that's why we have so many safeguards in place for every other. Uh, I'll, I'll use just a slightly different example. 
but for every other uh, uh, um, uh, professional um, organization where there is a differential in power, we have very bright line rules about no romantic and sexual relationships. But for some reason, coaching has gotten under the radar, right? Coaching is so that um, there is not the same um, bright line prohibition, and it allows that, that, that the, the fact that we have failed kids to educate them on what a good ethical coach will do has failed them dramatically in um, w- what they should expect from their coach and uh, the kinds of behavior they should expect. And, uh, you know, no parent should be telling their child, um, just do whatever the coach says. Right. Right. And um, in no way do I put any blame on the parents of the victims. I see on Twitter sometimes parents, you know, saying it's the parents have got to, you know, they've got to be the ones to teach their children and to whatnot. And in, I don't, because I think that they were just as institutionally betrayed as these victims were. Right. They, these are really good, loving parents who are very enro- uh, active in their child's uh, lives and success. And to say that they, like, handed their kid over to a molester knowingly is just That's ridiculous. not, yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's absolutely not right. Okay, Nancy Hogshead Makar, Title IX attorney and professor, former Olympic swimmer and gold medalist. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Up next, we're going to talk with the head coach of the UCLA gymnastics team about the systems that are in place that created widespread mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the sport. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The head coach of the UCLA women's gymnastics team says she always thought NCAA gymnastics provided a safe haven for serious athletes who wanted to avoid the abuse suffered in the elite world of USA gymnastics and the Olympics. But as she followed the story of Dr. Larry Nasser with its roots firmly planted at Michigan State University, Valerie Condos Field says she realized the problem was much more pervasive. Fields wrote in a recent blog post that the culture of elite gymnastics allows for widespread abuse of athletes by coaches and trainers and teaches athletes to become hardened to the abuse. Valerie Condos Field, head coach of the UCLA women's gymnastics team, is uh, with us now. Valerie, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah. So this this realization that uh, the university is not a safe haven um, uh, and is more like USA Gymnastics than we thought before, it's got to visit with you particularly harshly given the work that you do. You know, it's really shocking to me because I, I don't know what the percentage of universities around the world that are a safe haven um, are, but... I don't understand. I really don't understand the culture that that is or was at Michigan State mm-hmm. because it has been so obvious to me, and it's really obvious to elite athletes that come into our program. They're shocked when they realize I don't have the final word on whether they train or not, or what they do right. in the gym, or whether they're cleared to compete or train. 
that decision is based on a comprehensive discussion with our medical staff. And that includes our athletic trainer, our nutritionist, our sports psychologist, our team physician. They're the ones that make the decisions. Right. And it's, it's really funny when a lead athlete comes in and I say, and they say, you know, I, I feel better today. I, I can, my ankle feels better. I can train. And I go, well, guess what, honey? That's not up to me or you. That's up to our medical staff. So there's this, there's this um, team that's in place that makes, hopefully helps to make the best decision for the athlete. There's not one person. And so I don't, I really am flabbergasted at what has happened at, at Michigan State. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, talk about how this fits, though, in the in the larger context of sport and uh, the, 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 the culture of university sport. Does it lend itself to this kind of thing happening and not being questioned the same way that you say it happens in USA Gymnastics? I think it does when you have a, a culture and a program that cares more about winning. Mm-hmm. You know, where, when sport has become a religion, and that's the most important thing, that's when the athletes become pawns and robots and soldiers for your end goal. And I do feel that there are, I do feel that's the bad side of sport in, in, in any level. And um, I've just never experienced that. The only place I've been has been at UCLA. Yeah. And yeah. I've always just been, I've always had my voice as to what I feel is best for the athlete, but it's just been a voice amongst five or six voices that are going to help determine what's best for this athlete. Right. Uh, what would you say to a parent of young children who might be interested in gymnastics? How, you know, how do you convince them at this point that this is a safe sport mentally and physically uh, to put your kid into? I feel like there's a, a lot of damage that's been done here. There's a lot of damage I don't think there's a lot of damage that's been done. I think that there's a lot of revealing that's been done to the hmm. sport. There's mm-hmm. been damage done to young women and, and, and young men. But I feel like now the veil has lifted, the curtain's lifted, and the USAG is not going to be able to continue without being 100% transparent. And what we have all seen, this is, you know, as, as heartbreaking it has been to watch these testimonies, there's also the flip side of the coin that something inside of me just gets so invigorated and excited and has so much respect for these women that are coming out. And it's like, that's what the sport helped develop. Mm-hmm. This sport is amazing. It is one of, if not the toughest sport in the world. And because of that, at a very young age, you develop focus, you develop discipline, you develop a strength that you don't even know you have. And while these, these athletes' voices were suppressed for so long, it doesn't mean that they weren't strong. It right. didn't mean that their voices hadn't been growing inside of them. They just weren't allowed to release them. And guess what? Now they are, and we're seeing. You know, they keep talking about this army of strong women that is what this amazing sport helped develop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Randy in Detroit. Randy, welcome to Detroit today. Well, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, I, I guess I'm, my question is, is it bigger than sports? I mean, this is sort of a it's a, it's about winning is the sort of the discussion I think that, that, that it sort of starts with because Larry Nasser 
I think he got away with this because he was a winner. I think a lesser achieving coach would have been called out a lot sooner. That's so I guess the question then becomes sort of, is, is this an analogy to, I mean, I don't want to make a presidential politics thing about it, but I think there's a certain amount of, we over, we, we make allowances for someone who's going to be a winner until we get to a point where we're fed up. And it's a different end point if you're a winner versus if, you, if you're not the winner. Wow. Yeah. And, I, and I think that um, that's a, that's something we have to grapple with maybe a little bit. Thank yeah. you very much for your time. No, Randy, thanks very much for the call that's, and the comments. Uh, that uh, is absolutely the truth. That I mean, our the world of sport has just gone so crazy because it's it is all about winning. You do whatever it takes to win. And you know, I grew up with a disciple as a disciple of John Wooden. And whose definition of success yeah. is simply peace of mind in knowing you've done your best. Right. And whenever I'm recruiting athletes or I'm coaching our athletes and they're getting so downtrodden because, oh, they didn't win, they didn't get the, the trophy. But that doesn't mean that you didn't win. And I, this, his comment brought me back. I was in uh, London for 2012. We had, a, I think, four athletes from four different countries competing there at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And I turned to um, a very high person in the USAG, and I said, you know, Marta is, it, it abuses these young women verbally and emotionally, daily, constantly. She's a monster. And the person said to me, yes, but she wins. But she wins, right. And I said, at what cost? And that was the end of the conversation. Wow. Wow. He yeah. walked away. Yeah. I was like, and it's a very tough. It's a very tough thing to get across to people. Okay, Valerie Condos Field, head coach of the UCLA women's gymnastics team. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Thank today. Thank you. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. Uh, Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber-Davis and Jake Neer. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And the associate producers are Gus Navarro and Ziad Butch. Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobie. And remember, if you had to step away from your radio for any reason, you don't have to miss out on the conversation on Detroit Today. You can go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you. Listen when you are ready. This is WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.